It's time for today's episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast with your host, unlicensed pest control technician and America's recruiting guru, Dan Tudor. Coach, today we're going to let you listen in on another podcast that I was a guest on, the Dirt Podcast, the uh, home podcast of the National Fast Pitch Coaches Association, softball coaches in college, and the host is Joanna Lane. We cover campus visits, transfers, and a lot of other topics. Really good conversation. Wanted you to listen to it. Here we go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dirt NFCA podcast presented by Netting Professionals. We are going to talk recruiting today, but not just the overarching purpose and and driven values and whatnot of recruiting. I'm sure we'll get into some of that, but specifically the visits and how coaches, student athletes, prospective student athletes can really do justice for their campus, their program, and more when you are on a campus visit. And no one better to help guide all of us through this than Dan Tudor. We're thrilled to have you with us today, Dan. Thank you so much for joining the episode. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you. You're welcome. Well, I know, Dan, when I was at Central Michigan, we worked with you. And one of the ways that we changed recruiting extensively was when you started talking to us about campus visits. So I can't wait to dive into this a little bit more. But for people who aren't as familiar with you, go ahead and give us the background of how you got into what you're doing and and a little bit more about your day to day. Yeah, well, it's not just me at uh, Tudor Collegiate Strategies. There's a team of really smart, really talented people that we're all working with coaches, programs, uh, um, and doing things like conducting workshops, like what we did at Central Michigan uh, years ago. Uh, We work with clients, uh, with their coaching staffs to help them develop their recruiting message and and, um, communicate with recruits. We help them through individual recruit situations. Uh, It's been my day today before sitting down with you is talking to a lot of our clients about prospects they want and what's the strategy we should go with and sort of going over those those playbooks. And that's what we do. Uh, We basically are behind the scenes talking with college coaches and athletic departments to help them do what they need to do better and more efficiently. So that's what we've been doing for two decades and we plan on doing it for two decades more. I love it. That's awesome. Well, let's get started with just a little bit of that recruiting information. And and I know that some of these first questions are going to be pretty vague and pretty big with a lot to unpack. So feel free to take this any direction that jumps out to you at first. But we'll go from the coach's perspective first, right? September 1 just hit for us, for Division 1 coaches, that's a big date. And for a lot of other programs, there's some trickle down, which is to be expected. How do coaches go, in, in your opinion, from making that big list of these are our favorite kids on the field to be able to narrow that down? Because we know we can't afford to bring everybody in on visits. What are some of those relationship building things and, and skills that get you to the point where you know who you want to come visit? Well, I mean, I think there's there's two aspects of this, right? There is the 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 perspective of the coach. So obviously, you know, there's different philosophies from the coaching point of view on who do we bring to campus. There are some coaches who very much need the numbers 
you know, NAIA programs, Division three, they want the numbers, they're required to get the numbers. And so they may have a little lower threshold for what that relationship looks like. And they're really just trying to get as many visits as possible. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, every school and every program operates differently with different goals. And then there are some programs within those division levels and, and outside of it in division one, division two, where they are more selective. They, you know, they're, they are going to be limited somewhat by their roster and who they can bring in, what they can offer. So for, for the coach, really the, what, what I would say is that what we have seen is campus visits become this, this integral part of the process that um, we know most of the time is a required aspect of being serious about a program if you're the athlete and serious about the athlete if you're a coach that face-to-face meeting counts for something for most coaches and most athletes so it's a part of the process um if we look strictly at the 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 aspect of of moving an athlete through the process really what the goal is then is i need that athlete on campus Um, there are exceptions to that rule but that that becomes part of the process so it, I would take it away from feeling comfortable with the athlete or only inviting an athlete onto campus if if you as the coach knew that they were going to be seriously considered. Um, I might take the approach that I need as many athletes as possible coming to campus because then we might make the cut with them. Um, we would get a chance to evaluate more more prospects as a, as a coach, knowing whether she's the right fit, the wrong fit, and and that would then help guide both parties through that process. So uh, I, I think, you know, again, when we started this 20 years ago, we would measure this and, and do research and we would find that coaches very much wouldn't invite an athlete to campus unless they were a serious consideration. That was one of the final steps to, to basically being invited to join a program. And now what we see is either you know for the athlete taking the initiative and it's an unofficial visit versus a paid visit into a program if the if the college allows that or the division level you know provides for that the um it becomes now more of a a standard part of the process where we see most coaches not only in softball but in other sports kind of using it as a tool to gauge are they interested in us are they moving through the process it almost is a marker in the timeline uh that that coaches are, are seeing, yeah, it, it's moving in a good direction or it's not moving in a good direction with that athlete. So it's kind of a, a, a nuanced, multi-layered answer that you, the, the answer to your question. Hopefully that all made sense. It definitely makes sense. And, I, and I'm really interested in a, a few different pieces of that and, yeah. and getting a little bit deeper. Is the, and the first one is the, the research piece that you brought up. And that's one thing I've always loved about your program and what, what you're doing. It's, it, is, it is driven by gathering data. And I think yeah. that's changed quite a bit. Walk, walk me through just the world shift that we've all been a part of the last several years. Has it completely change the recruiting landscape that you're seeing now in the work you're doing with these prospective student athletes? Yeah, it's a very interesting question because I would say coming right out of COVID, let's just say, because that's the most recent big event that we all went through, um, it definitely did change it for that class right after that. Um, in, in the sense that I think what coaches learned and that the athletes learned too is that 
hey, I don't really need to visit campus in order to make a decision to go there. Because during COVID, you couldn't go visit a campus. You couldn't hang out with the team. All the stuff from a research standpoint we know is critical for those athletes to be able to do. And lo and behold, they made a decision to go to a campus. And um, look, some of those decisions were based on very little experience and data. And it turned out badly for the coach and badly for the athlete. And the solution was, well, I'm just going to transfer, which is now also much easier. So again, like based on what I talked about to your previous question, 20 years ago, there was really no convenient and even accepted, widely accepted outlet for changing your mind. You go to a program, you're kind of stuck there. And if you switched, that was a complicated process and it wasn't, it wasn't easy. You fast forward now to where we're at it's a very easy process. It's certainly much easier. There's more options. It's becoming actually a part of the recruiting cycle where softball programs, just like every other college sports program, are now segmenting off portions of their roster or scholarships to give. They're holding some back you know, from the high school athletes to account for maybe transfers that they would be talking uh, about. So, so there's a lot that has changed. Um, I, I think, again, the biggest thing is is kids realizing that I don't necessarily need to go to campus. And I really see that as a holdover from COVID as we've moved into now the classes of 24 and 25, where coaches, and again, it's not in the majority of the time, but it's not infrequent where an athlete will verbally commit to go to a school when they haven't visited yet. And their thinking is, hey, I'll, I'll go visit it later. And this way I, I kind of sew up that spot I have my, uh, you know, my option to go and visit. And if I hate it or I don't like the coach or it's completely different than what I've envisioned, I'll just decommit and go somewhere else. And so that's sort of what I was talking about before. Campus visits have been now, I think, become part of the, the, the timeline as they go through and they, they do different, different aspects of, of making a decision. You know, so I might even sort of equal it out to, you know, we wouldn't do a uh, put a big emphasis for a coach going and watching a player that they're interested in one of their games or going to a tournament and seeing somebody that they're recruiting. It's just part of the recruiting process. And I'm going to watch them. I may watch them again. I may not like them. I may like them, but it's not this huge, huge event. And what we're seeing now is campus visits sort of falling into that as well. Like, I don't necessarily need to go to a campus and see it. If I'm the athlete, I mean, still the majority want to, but if, uh, if I had to, I could probably make a commitment, uh, to go there and, and probably most of the time that's going to be, uh, it's going to work out for me as, as the athlete. And so why is that? It's because there's so much information I can find out about any campus. So let's just say I was a dad and back, uh, back in the day when you were at central Michigan, my daughter was getting recruited by Central Michigan to go play softball there. I can, within a few seconds, pull up video on probably, you know, who the coaching staff is, tour the campus on video, see the team, see some highlights, read about the coach, read about the season. And so I can take in all this information where, again, when I, I went to college back in the, the mid, mid-80s to late 80s, we had to go to the college to see what was there. There was no convenient way to to go and experience being on campus. And now there are so many ways and you throw in social media and all the ways I can interact and find information. 
being there on campus is not so much a um, a requirement for making a decision. In fact, a number of coaches, especially in Division One, are basically um, I shouldn't say just Division One, but all division levels are getting commitments and then as a part of the post-commitment process let's bring you to campus you'll meet the team you'll see the place and so it's it's kind of starting to flip around where again it's not a necessary prerequisite for making a decision that's one of the big changes we've seen post-covid how can coaches design and build a better story through social media and the website recruiting page they send their prospects to by working with preseason their team of experts are helping coaches break through the clutter and reach their recruits in a way their competition just can't match. Go to HelloPreseason.com to see how their team of experts are helping college programs tell a better story and build a better program. I find that so intriguing because we talk to so many coaches who will say, you know, um, it's it's that race. Like September one, the communication gates open, and they they have to get them on campus and do these things. And and then there's others that you know they've been to coming to camps for two or three years, right. and they you know they have this level of familiarity. And and I just think, that, gosh, it wasn't that long ago that some of our coaches were recruiting junior high kids <laughs> and having the same you know commitment and, and it almost it feels similar in a way that it's happening so fast and that you miss some of the relationship building and in when the athletic climate can be so volatile so tumultuous for coaches and you're reliant upon recruiting well getting to know kids and parents and character and so many of those things, you know, the, the rush to commitment is often pretty scary. Um, are there ways, I think the biggest question our coaches always have, but are there ways when you finally have the in-person contact with student athletes to get a better idea of that character piece or just more of them, you know, as a human, certain questions or situations that you can can put them in to allow them to be able to be more of themselves and you can you can see that. Have have you run into any of that? Yeah. Oh, Joanna, that's a great question. Um, so I'll, I'll approach it from two different perspectives. Again, the coach and the athlete. So the question was, or the, the idea is like, how do we, how do we get to the real nuts and bolts of who that athlete is and also make sure they understand what we're all about so that they have a good feeling of, you know, going to that campus and being a part of that program. So for the athletes specifically on campus visits, um, what we what we now do a lot of is we'll go and assess campus visits and break down campus visits with athletes that are now a part of the team. So we'll take, for instance, a freshman class and um, and bring them in. No coaches allowed in the room, but we'll have a big whiteboard and we'll say, okay, let's walk through your your visit here. And we'll find out, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing this for the sake of time, but because it's very intricate and we go through a lot of questions, but we will ask that, that uh, incoming freshman class, basically, what did you like? What didn't you like? What did coaches do right, wrong? What did other co schools do that, that you liked? Um, and basically, we have them deconstruct the whole visit. And then what we have them do, based on what they said they liked, should be better, uh, more effective, less effective, 
we take that and then the second stage two is okay now let's rebuild the visit and um and so that it, it matches more about what you wanted because of course what we're finding is that you know joanna people our age adults are constructing these visits and we forget that we're building them out for 17 year olds who have completely different perspectives on what they're actually interested in and how they're making their decision and so what the visit was that the adults and the coaching staff constructed compared to what the athletes end up inventing on their own if it was their perfect visit if they situation we described to them is build it out as if you were going to bring your best friend from club softball in and coach just turn it completely over to you we want her get her make sure she she sees the things and does the things that are important to her so that we so that you can be her teammate and and we get her here on on the diamond and what we end up finding is that kids are much more casual it's much more free-flowing uh surprise surprise they cut out a lot of the meetings that we as adults uh, seem to think that they should have as a part of the visit um interestingly they separate coach you take my parents over there and we as the the freshmen we'll take the prospect over here so and this is the fascinating part joanna is that no matter where we go that almost always ends up being a part of the reconstructed visit is separation get my parents and the coach away from me and let's go as kids um i'm using that term sort of you know just all-encompassing for the freshman on the team as well as the high school prospect coming in we're going to go over here and have our time and i think instinctively the reason they do that is because that's really what they're searching for when they visit a campus um we, we have come to the the realization or we have the philosophy that when they show up on campus for a visit they're about in their mind they're about 80 percent sold on the campus i mean you've got my major i like the area uh, I know something about the team and coach you've been telling me about you and so I've got a lot of the facts down um, and I wouldn't come to the campus if you didn't have my major and didn't you know, were in an area I just hated I probably wouldn't come to campus so I'm there I'm basically sold what is the missing 20% that I can't get from my phone or I can't get from the internet or social media the missing part is like what in in, in softball's case so what are the women like on the team and what is coach like yes but am i going to like the team and do they like me because in in your sport club is everything and travel ball is everything and kids are coming in with great travel ball experiences and also some really bad experiences where they've had to switch clubs or they personality types rub them wrong and so they're coming into this saying i don't want that to be college i want to make sure i like the team and if you think about it, what do we do incorrectly as the adults, as the coaches? We give them like 30 minutes at lunch with the team and the rest of it is meeting, 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 walk over here, walk over here, another meeting. And it, it completely, I mean, we would look at it as that's the smart way to choose a college. Well, they're not, they've already chosen the college based on what you have. Now what we have to do is does, does the emotional part fit? Does the X factor of being on a college sports team is, does there a connection there? Cause I, that's what I'm there to find out. So these kids are smart. They separated out. We get to go over here and the adults coach, you take my parents and show them around campus. You take them to the meetings. I mean, again, if that's what their vision was, that's what ends up being constructed. 
And when we present that to coaches, because the other part of this whole session we do with a lot of programs is once the athletes have their say, they leave the room, coaches come in, and now we have to explain to the coaches, you know, what they want. And that's a little bit like a, a therapy session because there's, you know, it's the, it's like the five stages of grief or how many stages of grief there are, like the, you know, the denial, acceptance and all of it. They, they have to realize like, oh my gosh, I've been doing these all wrong. And yeah, I see that it makes sense. And a lot of coaches, the one resistance they have is, well, hold on. They don't want this, this, this uh, very segmented schedule of events and meetings and everything. So what, they're just going to go off with my freshmen and they'll probably go to the, the Starbucks across campus and they're going to, you know, go get something to eat and they could go back to the dorms and just, you know, waste time and watch Netflix for, for four hours. If we just let them on their own and, you know, I don't, you know, it'd be a horrible visit and our reaction and feedback as well as the athletes is that no coach, that's a great visit because why well, I'm not seeing a lot of the campus, but you know, in truth, and you know, this and coaches, let's all be honest. Most campuses are the same. <laughs> they've got, they've got the same type of buildings. They've got, they've got the same, layout and there are some little differences but what a lot of kids say is like hey, you're a college you got classrooms we get it we're not here to go to a classroom or to go to a meeting i want to hang out with the people i'm going to be in your case playing softball with and so four hours alone in the dorms for a teenager is exactly what they want and they instinctively know that and that's why they they automatically will build it into the process of a visit, whereas you know, we as adults sort of tend to this traditional way of, of building out campus visits and there's a mismatch. So their solution is let us go do kid stuff over here and you take my parents and do the adult stuff over there. I remember when we did this and, and I was so hurt personally hurt because <laughs> I thought I was so good at it and I wasn't. And, um, and, and then in eliminating the class, like we would take such care to find out what the kid was interested in and send them to a class. And it was, it was a hard no. <laughs> they do not waste 50 minutes of my time in a class that may or may not be yeah. interesting or I'm getting out of class for the day. Why do I want to sit in another one? And uh, no matter how much you love academics, right? Well, because yeah. it's, it, and I just, I remember, I remember that moment, Dan, and I thought, oh my gosh. But then some of the things our kids said, I never would have thought about like that we were doing the campus tour all wrong. Right. You know, like the order of the buildings and what they should see and what you can skip. And um, we, we talk a lot more about it now. And I'm sure a lot of our coaches are, are doing this, but of empowering the, the student athletes. And, and when we did that with the visits, I, I do think that that we got so much better. And, and you're right. As you were telling the story, I thought, Oh no, they're describing a, a great visit because, you know, not, not to take your words, but the other thing I remember so vividly was, um, you know, as a, as a coach, you're trying to figure out what's the reason that they wouldn't pick you, right? Like you're trying right. to figure that out so you can dispel that. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Cause I'm sure it's changed. I don't want to talk about how long I haven't been in that seat, but you know, what's, what's the, the general gist when you're having the conversations with the kids, do you feel it's still, they are there trying to figure out why to say no, or they're there trying to figure out why to say yes. 
Um, yeah, another great question. So the thing that uh, that that they add into all this discussion is when they come to a campus because they're mostly decided on every campus they go to, they're about eighty percent there, and so that means it's a five way tie for first place. And I got to eliminate something, and if I'm eliminating something, it's usually because of a negative. And so they end up coming on campus looking for, you know, why should I say no to you? And, you know, I think coaches need to understand that because for a coach as an adult, and I love working with coaches because they're all, most of, most coaches are very positive, upbeat, optimistic. You know, that's just sort of built into the DNA if, you're, if you've been a good athlete and now you're coaching. Um, and so their thing is, what can we show them that's all positive? And there's certainly value in that. We want you to showcase, you know, a you know the positives. But they're they're also trying to figure out what's wrong with you so that they can cross you off the list. And a lot of times we find that the the final decision is almost a process of elimination and who's left standing. Okay, that's the school I'm going to commit to. And you know, so so then begs the question: what what do coaches do? Well, first of all, I think the order, like you mentioned, not forcing them to go to a classroom. Yeah, that might be something very important because if I'm bored on your campus, if you're my fourth visit and for the fourth time I'm being sent to sit in sit on a class in a in on a class, um, and I don't want to do that, well, now you're just like everybody else who is forcing me to do that, and I don't want to do it. So I think it's critical that coaches understand that teenage mind and remember back to when they were a teenager and <clears throat> what did you want to do? I can tell you, I didn't want to sit in on a class. I would I would much rather hang out with some of the younger guys on a team that I would have been playing with. And so that, you know, again, just remember that. But also I think there is the opportunity and the requirement for coaches to define a negative. So every campus has a negative. Uh, there are, no matter how good a program is, no matter how perfect it might seem from the outside, there are negatives. And we've been on a lot of campuses where there are, Negative. So you mentioned, you know, the trip to Central Michigan. I still remember going to Central Michigan and I can, as I say this, I can remember it walking out to the car that was in the parking lot outside of the arena where we were meeting and it was freezing cold. I mean, the wind was blowing. It had just snowed. There's already ice on the car. And I was, I was freezing from the 20 yard walk from the doors to the car. Okay. So if I'm, it, uh, you know, if I'm a California kid that's getting recruited to, uh, you know, someplace in the Great Lakes, that might be my main takeaway is, oh, my gosh, it's freezing cold out here. And a lot of coaches would would say, oh, we've got this negative, that negative. I got these five things that I just I just wish weren't the case. And, and, and sometimes it's not even location or weather. It could be like the locker room isn't as new as some of the people in our conference the facility they have or the stuff they have, we don't have it as nice. If I let that, if I don't say anything about it, um, and we've seen this happen before, where coaches just avoid showing their locker room to an athlete because that's visiting because it's not as nice as the ones that that they've seen over at another school potentially, and they don't say anything about it, two bad things happen. First of all, you give room for a competitor to come in and say, oh, they didn't show you the locker room? Well, oh, that's because it's horrible. It smells bad. It's really old. But come look at our new locker room. Okay, well, now I've, I'm. they have defined something negative about us, which is we're hiding something from you as a recruit. What I would rather see a client do or anybody that's listening to this that just wants to take this and run with it 
if you have something bad on campus or bad about your program or just negative, maybe you, you know, you're a new coach taking over a program that struggled for four straight years, whatever the case, you have to define how they should think about that. So you, we talk about branding all the time and, uh, and coaches are very interested in, in branding uh, their program and what our brand is and what, what we're known for. Well, if you're coming in and rebuilding or revamping a program from scratch or from the bottom, you need to tell that athlete how to think about it. And what I mean by that is, so here's our old, show them, here's our locker room. And it's not the worst you probably have seen, but it's certainly not the best because you I, I know that other programs have, you know, locker rooms that look this bad. Um, but let me just say something that this is not how you choose a college. You should not base it on what the locker room looks like. Here's how you should choose the college and give them reasons that are positive about how they should look at you um, or, or what they should think about your losing record or what they should think about you being a young coach. Now coaching your first, you know, your first job, we get that a lot of questions, a lot of objections with parents that, you know, the coach that just got hired is 24, 25 years old and looks like she's 19. And wait, you're going to coach my daughter. This is what I spent all that money in club softball for was so that another kid could coach my kid. It's unfair, but that's what gets, you know, gets um, thought about by, a, by a, a parent. If I don't address that, that's what they go home thinking. And now maybe I cross you off because of that. It's just not enough experience from that coach. Whereas if that coach just took a second and said, hey, look, I'm young. Here's why you should want your daughter being coached by a young coach. And well, the simplest answer is I'm going to be able to relate to her faster. I, I know what she's going through. I'll be able to be her big sister and lead her through this. And oh, by the way, I really know softball. Here's my coaching style. Here's what we're going to be doing, you know, um, to develop her as a, as a pitcher or as a catcher. And so that conversation, I think, is it kind of goes to address that thing that you brought up, which is they're they're trying to figure out who they should cross off the list. And I don't want to give them any room for for a program that I'm coaching to be crossed off the list. So I have to be positive and aggressive and answer that before it gets asked. So I don't want to wait for them to ask the locker room question. I'm leading with it. If I know it's an objection, I am I'm leading with it and I am defining it, talking about it, and then moving on. One of my favorite recruiting learning moments, I was at South Dakota State and I had to ask um, John Stigelmeyer, the uh, football coach at the time, if I could come along on one of his visits when I first got there because I, I wanted to learn. Like, what does he talk about? What does he do? And, and I went with every program that would let me. And he got to the locker room and it was this old nasty cinder block building at the end of the end zone they have a beautiful facility now but this thing was awful yeah. and um and you could see this kid look around and he and he looked and, and stig said you know what i love about this building and, and the kid's just looking at him and he said this is where all our guys get to hug each other after we win the championship because you can't hug a building yeah. you hug the people in it and i thought <laughs> Oh man, that's really cool. Yeah. You know, and they, he's, but I love what you're talking about of, of flipping the script because sometimes you, you do think you're better off to ignore it. Like, you know, a, um, uh, if you're in, a, in an urban setting and that's unsettling for, for a kid mm -hmm. that's, that's more rural, or if you were, so I, I think that you were, you know, points of no, grab it and, and talk about it so that you can control the narrative, I think are really important for people to um, to figure out. Does it ever 
does it ever seem to to backfire, so to speak, or, or do you think that's that's just the way it's going to play out anyway? If somebody's going to choose something, then it's it's going to happen whether or not you're you're talking about it or or make a different choice. Well, sure, and if you don't talk about it, your competitor, your competition is certainly going to talk about it. So I, it's funny. I've never met a negative recruiter, but I know negative recruiting happens, and so it's it's somebody is going to fill that vacuum of information with with their information. I just want it to be, I think it should be the coach that's dealing with it to do it first, um, to do it, um, you know, again, positively. I want them to see, since we're talking about it being in person on a campus visit, I want them to see that it doesn't bother the coach, even if it really does bother the coach. I want them to hear that the coach is positive about it, even though they might complain behind the scenes with their, you know, their assistant of how bad that locker room is. And that way, because that athlete's there and you think about it, the parents might be investing money into this. There may not be a full ride scholarship. They may have to pay to go to the school. And so I'm wondering and looking, and we know this because the athletes tell us like, we're looking at the coach. How does he answer it? How does she react to when we ask this question? Are they defensive? Do they, you know, using the locker room scenario, do they say, you know, oh, yeah, I know we've been asking our AD for a you know, new locker room for like eight years now and he won't do it and it's really ticks off and, you know, you know, and so if it's negative, okay, you've just told me, then that might be a reason that I should consider maybe not coming here or certainly not going to be a selling point. But your tone, the positivity, like, you know, give, again, you, you're hugging everybody there after a championship. That's what I want to hear. And just really quickly, we had another football client uh, that was uh, in Ohio where they had the same thing, like this old field house at the end of the end zone that they'd get dressed in and stuff. And it was, you know, in their, the coach thought it was horrible. And so we went in and yet, and in fact, all it had old wooden lockers like the lockers weren't even metal they were wood like wood doors on the lockers and so um but anyway it we we basically got him to completely switch it to where their final meeting at the end of a visit where they would might they maybe would ask for a commitment what they did was they brought a table and chairs into the middle of the locker room and that's where they had their final meeting in this bad smelly place but he told a story around it and it got into it was able to be developed into something that was a positive and they really turned around the perception of this old cruddy locker room because they won championships as well and they have all this history and so i think one thing i'll say about this when we talk about like facilities and the lack of uh, you know it being as new as a competitor's I think sometimes it's it's more bothersome to the coach than the athlete, and I think it's that way because this is the this is your profession, and if I'm a coach and I'm at a school, I want the best because I want to feel like I'm around the best. That I'm I'm a coach. I made the decision to coach here. I don't want to look like it was a bad decision, and so I really want to make sure that that. Um, that I feel good about where I'm at. And I, I get that. And I vote yes on new everything for a coach, but that should not affect recruiting um, because when he gets or she gets the new locker room, it will eliminate an objection, but it will still not be the reason that kids go there. Because if we had data that said, hey, we're choosing the place with the, the newest locker rooms, 
we would be very, we, I'd be out front saying, hey, new data's in. It all comes down to the who has the newest locker room. So AD, pony up and put in a new locker room. But it never comes out like that. Then very rarely do we look at kids that chose a place because of facilities. Now, granted, they may have said no to somebody else because of an objection or a facility or something that wasn't defined, but it's not the reason that they get uh, from one place to another. Um, it's yeah, so just you know, if you're a coach listening to this, just understand you can overcome those negatives, but you have to be proactive about it. What are some of the things, Dan, that you're seeing in that research that maybe have shifted a little bit, but or that has surprised you, or that you really think it's important for coaches to understand what student athletes are ranking as? importance or what parents are seeing as a reason. And, and then, I mean, Lord, we haven't even gotten down the parent rabbit hole yet, but um, you know, some of, some of those things that you're seeing. Well, I, first of all, like the, you know, first of all, the trends always change. We find like every two or three years, there are new things that are important and some things move down the list. And so that's been very interesting over two decades to see, just how, you know, what was important and now what's important. And some things have stayed the same. And I would say one of the things that, is, that I've seen come full circle, um, because we started in 2005, and I remember, I mean, I, I still remember doing instructions on, coach, you need to use this thing called email. Email is going to be big. And, you know, you need to use emails to recruit and communicate and, um, and you know, they resisted. And then social media came about. I still remember conversations about coaches being on Twitter and you need to do this because kids are on Twitter now. And, and so coaches, they lag a little bit um, sometimes when it comes to, to newer trends. But what we've seen happen is interesting. Um, I see coaches that have completely abandoned forms of communication traditional to recruiting other than social media and texting. And I get it because... Social media is where all these kids are at and texting is the way they communicate. Absolutely. Coach, you should put out social media stuff and you should text your kids. But what the athletes tell us is, and this is pretty recent research. I mean, going back just a couple of months that we're starting to get good data from the class of 2023, the now the freshmen on college campuses that just made their decision that when they look at the, for the what, what kind of media or platform um, inclusion they want coming out to them when they're recruited. Um, social media actually ranks last on the list. It's the least effective way to use if we if we're trying to measure what actually do they use to make a decision. And before I get into what's above it, the reason for that is if you think about it, social media is something that bombards them every day. They're following, you know, how many hundreds or thousands of different people, celebrities, their friends, other coaches, other programs, uh, whatever area of interest there are. I mean, there's, they have all that coming at them. And, you know, you think of yourself as a coach on Instagram or any other social media, you scrolling through stuff and how fast that goes. And you skip over a lot of stuff just as it didn't catch your attention in that, you know, 0.25 milliseconds that you actually glance at it. Um, my message to coaches, knowing that how that behavior is among all of us, but especially athletes and teenagers, if we think we're going to sell our program 
through a social media post, and that's what's going to convince them logically to choose us, we're really sort of acting foolishly because that's not how we make logical decisions. Social media, the kids tell us, is used when I want to get some visuals of the school. I want to see the personality of the team. I want to see who's on the team and do they seem to like it there and what's around campus. So I, it's all visual and it's all relational. Very important in the process. Absolutely. I vote yes. Open up social media and make it more, by the way, than just graphics. Just show them campus. Show them inside the locker room. Start telling the story. Start branding. Give it over to the kids because I want to. If I'm a softball player, I want to know who am I playing softball with, and do I think I would like playing with them? So that's what that's what social media is for. But again, most coaches stick to that, and they're starting to do a very mediocre job at it uh, because they're running out of ideas. And now it's not the new thing; it's sort of the old thing that they oh, do social media posts now. And what have they abandoned? They've abandoned letters. They've abandoned emails. They've largely abandoned phone calls. They've done all these things that uh, they've moved away from those different platforms. And, and what the athletes have said is that we want variety. And actually the most impactful thing that can happen during the recruiting process is a phone call. They rank that as number one, as far as you as a coach showing that you're serious about them. And which coaches, if they hear that, they might say, well, wait a minute, they hate talking on the phone. They're not good at it. I have to do all the talking. And that's all true for most kids. The reason is because they aren't good at it. They, they're, they've done most of their communication through texting. And because they aren't good at it, they need you to be the one to make the phone call and lead the conversation because they're not immediately comfortable with it, doing it uh, you know, voice to voice. I am. You are. Most coaches listening to this. Uh, many anyway would have grown up using that versus you know text messaging, but they're very much you know a, a reading nonverbal group of communicators, and so we need to lead the way in in um, in in accounting for that. So then you go to emails and letters. Um, most coaches would say emails don't work. I mean, yeah, I see they open it seven or eight times, but they never respond, so they must not want it. Well, they're opening their emails seven or eight times from you because they're actually reading it and rereading it and reading it again. That's how much they like written information. And when you send them a letter, so we make the case all the time, that is so rare that they get a written mail letter, old-fashioned, through an envelope, into the mailbox, letter delivered to them. It doesn't even have to be handwritten. It could be printed. But on paper matters because they don't get that. I mean, I would say they don't get it. They've never maybe received that a written piece of mail from anybody outside of their family ever. You as a coach might be the first one to have sent that to them. So it's impactful. It gets read. It gets put on the refrigerator. They never throw it away. And there's a reason for that. Most coaches, I, you know, we do this in our workshops when we're making this point that most coaches have never thrown away a recruiting letter that they got. And, you know, they might be 40 years old. They still have a stack of recruiting letters somewhere stored in a box. Why is that? Why do you save them? Well, because it's physical proof that you were recruited. You were good. Somebody wanted you. They said nice things. Think about all the ways we electronically swipe away conversations and evidence of, you know, what we talked about. I mean, I would challenge a coach. If you ask me what, what, um, what text messages did I read yesterday or what even an email that I read yesterday, do, what was the topic or who was it from? I'd 
struggle to answer that. That's how fast we forget the electronic stuff. I could tell you the names of coaches that wrote nice thank you notes after we've been to their campus or we helped them recruit a class. Um, and I have those and I've saved them. Why? Because it's cool. It's, we don't usually get that. And so, I mean, a coach listening to this, I still want them to text. Great way to communicate back and forth. Um, I still want them to use social media, but use it to visually tell them what your team and campus is like. Um, if we're going to tell a story, if we're going to convince them to come, if we're going to lean on more of the logical side of the decision that has to be done, has to be done, has to be done through emails or letters, that that's what works best. Not even live conversations when they're on campus, because when I'm on campus as a teenager taking that visit, um, I'm not listening to you. I'm looking around. I'm looking at faces. I'm looking at people. I'm trying to figure out, do they like it here? What I like it here? Um, yeah, I'm taking in the everything. So they're not listening to the information. That's why, you know, tour groups that are going around campus on, you know, admissions tours, you know, coach listening to this, you know, look at the, at the end of the visit when they're headed back to admissions, uh, and they've been on walking around campus for an hour, getting all this great information. Do they look excited? Do they look like they've enjoyed it? Or do they look like they're engaged? No, they look like they've been at, you know, an hour-long grueling walk, and they've tuned out, and they're not the, – you look at the body language. They're just not excited. And so, um, again, as a coach, you have to understand that you are in the branding business. You're a marketer, and I need two – you need to affect two different regions of the body. First of all, we know they make their decisions with their heart. You know, oh, I love that coach. I love that team. I love this. I love that. I love that. Great. But then there's the second part. We now have to also, they have to be able to logically justify it with their head. So why is it smart to go here? When I tell people I'm going to commit to Central Michigan or Oberlin or Cal State Bakersfield, whatever it is, um, go Roadrunners. That's my alma mater. But I need to I need to be able to say when I know other people are going to ask me, why did you choose that place? What you chose that division two over division one? Why? I need to give them a logical answer, and I'm going to rely on what you wrote me over a long period of time, little nuggets over a long period of time, and um, we just see them making that their decision. Coach, did you know that Tudor Collegiate Strategies works with over 750 coaching staffs from all division levels, all sports, from all over the country? It's true. We help them create, manage, and execute their recruiting message for the prospects they really need. And we can do the same for you. Email us at dan at dantutor.com so we can explain how it works. Let's talk, Coach. And now, back to the show. so interesting when you start peeling back the layers and you talk about the mail. I saw a, a meme the other day that said something like, some of you never had to call your friend's house and talk to their parents before they came to the phone and it shows. <laughs> and uh, and it just, you know, it just cracked me up. But I had a coworker today that somebody brought a piece of mail in. We were eating lunch and said, hey, you got mail. And he said, I got mail? 
And it was a yeah. thank you from a coach for something he had done. And I mean, he lit up like you could just tell that, you know, here's a you know mid 40s year old guy. You just don't get that kind of mail much anymore. So um, yeah. I, I think that's a really cool way to look at it. And, and I know we're, we're running a little short on time, but I, I can't go completely without a parent question. Um, what role is, are the parents currently holding in this recruiting process? And as coaches, what do we need to be aware of of looping parents in or be aware of the other side of the kids want certain decisions? Because I think this has changed too and, and probably also cyclical. Yeah, I mean, I think as you ask the question, you or another coach listening to it already know the answer. You know, are parents important to the process? Yeah, they are. And I've par- partially because of your sport, you know, parents – paid for the club fee, they paid for the travel, they're at the games, they're helping, you know, carry the equipment back to the car. Um, they're, they're involved. I mean, in your sport, as much as any other club sport, they're involved in their daughters having an experience. And they're almost, you almost say they're like the managers of that individual athlete. They're the agent. And they're making sure they're comfortable, got something to eat. How'd you do? How are you feeling? Are you hurt? You know, all that stuff. And you you add those. I'm thinking about how many, you know, for a good softball player, how many tournaments, how much travel, how long they've been playing the game to get you know good enough. And their parents, in most cases, have been right there alongside. And so we then at the college level say, or expect them maybe to say, okay, now, now she's going about to go to college. So parents stop, you're not involved anymore. Uh, this is her decision. And when we say that, and if we don't say it, we're still giving a lot of coaches are giving that vibe off. Um, not only does it sound weird to the parents and somewhat offensive because, hey, you're talking about my daughter and we've been involved and of course we're going to be involved in the decision because it's not a full ride and we have to help pay for it and all the other things. Um, For the athlete, what they tell us is not only do they want their parent involved in the decision, it's kind of weird, coach, when you make them not involved, when you intentionally appear to be ignoring them. And look, for coaches, I think in their defense, what we hear them saying is, well, I don't know if I want the parents involved as much because then they'll show up on campus when she gets here as a freshman and think that they still have a say. Not true. We can communicate the difference. We can communicate, hey, she's on the team now. Here's how we operate. So that's a very easy fix. Um, but there's a lack of communication sometimes from coaches, and that ends up being the issue. They, they haven't defined it for the parents of here's here's how parents operate within our program. And once that happens, then it's usually good. Um, but but for the the athlete, they are going to rely on their parent to help them make the decision. Um, they we told you you know about the when we let them divide up and and re, redesign the campus visit very naturally all across the country, all different sports, um, all different division levels, they will separate out the kids and the parents, oh, you know, kids and the athletes over here, parents and coaches over there. Send my parents to the meetings. Well, why are they sending their parents to the meetings? Well, mom, you go to the financial aid meeting and tell me what you think. You go and meet with the dean, tell me what you think. You go and meet with admissions and tell me the information I need to know because I'm going to be over there with the athletes having fun. And so the parents have a very specific role in this whole process. And what I see as far as mistakes that 
coaches make, softball coaches included, is um, the attitude of, and this is very much you know from 20 years ago, well, we'll get to know the parents when we have the campus visit. They can come with their daughter on the visit. That's when we'll introduce ourselves and start getting to know the parents. And what we know, one of the changes has been that if you aren't engaging in recruiting the parents ahead of a visit, you're probably not going to get you're not going to get them on the visit. Because I, as a parent, if I have 10, 15 programs that have expressed interest, I immediately have to start eliminating the ones that we're probably not going to go visit because I can't go do 15 visits. We don't have the time or the money or opportunity to do that. So how do I make the decision? Well, I know if a coach, especially a head coach, has communicated with me as a parent and is involving me in the process, I'm probably going to go visit that school. Even if they aren't high on the list right now, I'm going to give them a shot because that's a good tiebreaker to use and who's interested and who's not. And and I also know that for the parent, um, I have to be able to um, behind the scenes, I am making a decision in some respects for my daughter. Uh, most parents will say, nope, not that part of the country. Nope, not that type of college. Nope, we need a full ride. Or no, you can't go Division One. It's got to be a, a more academic school because you want to go into this field, and that's the way I did it, and so I want you to do it the same way. Like We all have biases that we're bringing into this process. For the coach, that's why I include the parent. If I'm a coach, I... My first conversation, my first phone call with a new class, I'm fine if the parent picks up the phone. In fact, if they don't, at the end of that first conversation with the athlete, I might say, hey, you know, Alyssa, great talking to you. Can't wait to talk again. Hey, by the way, is your mom or dad there? I'd love to say hi to them. And I talk to mom and dad and explain that we're going to recruit your daughter. Is that okay? She's great. We saw her at this tournament. And what questions do you have? They're going to have a totally different set of questions or they will actually have questions, whereas maybe their daughter didn't. So this trend that we still see happening where coaches are excluding parents from the process very early on is hurting them, The I'm sorry, the, the program, they're hurting the coaches, their program and program development because a lot of those parents write that coach or that program off. If I'm not in communication, you're going around me, but other coaches are paying attention to me. I'm probably going to gravitate to those coaches paying attention to me. And at the core of this, I mean, you have two things going on with, with coaches. Number one, the older coaches have just been burned by parents over and over again. I shouldn't say older. The more veteran coaches have been burned by um, parents over and over. Um, they're a little bit crazy from time to time. Uh, and, and I just don't want to deal with them. They're exhausting to deal with. I'm not disagreeing. And but I but they're essential to to uh, to the process. And the other thing I would say is that for younger coaches, um, it's intimidating. So I'm 24 years old. I'm the assistant coach, and I'm the recruiting coordinator. So coach wants me to be the ones to to reach out. I don't want to talk to the parents because they're 50 something, and I'm 24, and you know they're going to ask me questions I don't know. They just it's intimidating maybe to talk to you know, somebody that's older or uh, they're a parent, so they're making way more money than I am. And and I, what if they ask me about money? I'm not comfortable talking about that. And so those are the two things that that are preventing coaches, I think, from, from diving in and taking the parent relationship seriously. And it's in both cases, it can be fixed. You're a more veteran coach. You have to understand that 
dealing with parents is just a part of the recruiting process. And yes, you're going to meet some odd ones once in a while, and some personalities aren't going to match, but you're also going to meet some great ones. And either way, they need to know you, you need to know them, because they're helping their daughter make the decision. And if I want a good softball team, and I need that daughter to come and commit, I'm probably going to have to make friends and, and in some cases put up with the parent. And if I'm a younger coach, um, there's an element of, I got to fake it till I make it. I, I may not be comfortable talking to a parent, but I know it's part of my job. So I have to start. And, and the, the sooner, especially for a younger coach, the sooner, you know, that the sooner you start doing that and getting really good at conversations and learning how to redirect questions and, and you're just learning about almost in, in a sense, sales techniques and conversations that that will benefit you later on in your life, but learning it early so that you can communicate with parents, um, oh, you're going to have such a great career in, in softball. Because in both cases, the veteran coach already knows this, the younger coach will learn it. You're not going to spend much time coaching softball. You're actually going to be spending most of your time recruiting and, and relating to, if it's not a parent that you're recruiting, it's going to be somebody in the athletic department or a fellow coach or an athletic director you need $10,000 more in your budget from like learning how to talk and how to redirect questions and how to, you know, listen for an objection and counter it. Like that is a life skill that will help you way beyond recruiting. And we see both parties sort of resistant to it. And the reality is that this generation uses their parents um, substantially, especially in uh, club sports, especially in a sport like softball, parents are helping to make the decision. So if I'm a practical recruiter, I'm going to need to involve the parents as early as possible so that I get things like a campus visit. Because again, parent who who is planning the campus visit? Mom and dad. So I would like to go directly to mom and dad and talk about a campus visit instead of going through a 17 year old player. Hey, can you talk to your mom and dad about arranging a visit? Oh, sure, coach. Yeah, I will. And then Three months later, we're still trying to get her to, to talk to the parents. Well, I think the shortcut is, coach, you talk to the parents. You develop the relationship because it will it will really benefit you in the end. Well, Dan, thank you for taking the time on so many things. I know I promised you an early exit, but I just had to keep asking some some I questions. So thanks for being so gracious with us. We always end this this podcast with a, a piece of advice question. I've written down so many. You would think it's like I'm going to go recruit a kid tomorrow, um, which I'm not. But I think they're so important. So give us something, and if you repeat yourself, it's fine. But what's the best piece of advice right now in this fall recruiting segment as our coaches are bringing kids on campus, extending offers, you know, really building their teams that they should keep in mind? Um, okay, I'm going to give you three things. So the first thing is, I we talked about a lot of topics. There is a ton of free information on our website. You don't have to pay for it. Um, if you go to the blog, we have nearly 20 years of, of articles on various topics. So a coach that wants to know anything about making phone calls or letters or parents or anything can just if you go to dantutor.com and look at the blog. All it's free. It's all there. Um, spend time, print it out, uh, learn about topics and learn how to do this because it's really important. Uh, the second thing I would think to understand is that um, kids and parents because and partially because of the economic times that we're in right now as we record this podcast 
Um, so we have inflation, we have a lot of uncertainty economically, and um, that means that that I really recommend that coaches learn how to talk about money and what it's going to cost or what they're going to give or get in terms of grants and aid, because that's something that a lot of a lot of coaches put off and they put onto well financial aid. I'll talk to them about that, and certainly I don't want especially for a division three coach to go against the rules and start inventing packages and guaranteeing that they'll get this, this, you know, paid for in college, but learning how to talk about money and understanding who is a real prospect and who isn't is critical in this time right now, because a lot of co a lot of coaches are finding out that athletes and parents are thinking, well, if we're friendly, if we make nice, if we show them how interested we are, we'll, they'll give us more money. And of course, most coaches know that's not how it works. So I need to know, is that family, is that athlete a real prospect when it comes to actually affording our school? Because we're finding more and more, especially this, the early results from the class of 24, that's not happening. And they're looking for certain things. And so the sooner I find that out, um, and what we're advising all of our clients to do is have that early conversation, because you may have to take them off your list early but that just gives you more time to find the next athlete that is a good fit. And because um, a lot of colleges out there that coaches are coaching at are not inexpensive propositions and we need to find out who can afford them. So that would be another thing. Um, I think the last thing is just for a coach to understand that recruiting is the core part of their job. Uh, again, the softball coaching is why you got into it. Completely get that. That's why it's fun to be a coach and the relationships with the team and the lives you'll impact, absolutely. But as far as a core part of the job, um, coaches need to understand that they will spend most of their time recruiting. And that also correlates to how you're going to do as a coach, because if I'm a bad recruiter, that means I'm not going to get good softball players in. And it's really hard to be a good coach when I don't have good players to coach. If I'm a good recruiter and I learn all these little nuances and I take it seriously that like it or not, this is the core part of my job. Uh, most of the, my day, most of my year is going to be spent recruiting and scouting and finding the next set of players. But if I'm good at that um, and good players show up to be coached, it's amazing how good of a coach all of a sudden I become. <laughs> and it's a lot easier and it's more fun. So that's why we are so passionate about what we do and the, and the coaching lives we get to interact with because um, to help see those lights go on and sometimes seeing a career that was headed in the wrong direction all of a sudden get right again and all of a sudden it's fun, it's easy and they're winning and, and now they're finishing early. Um, you know, we have some D3 softball coaches that um, used to get done late spring of a senior year of a class, and now they're done primarily, like for the most part, before the start of summer going into a senior year. So, like this is this can be done whether you're a large school, small school. These techniques, the things that we've talked about today, they apply to everybody. And so, um, I just encourage coaches to take it seriously because it's it's your future and. Um, most coaches who have been fired and an hour out of a job will look back and say, yep, I should have recruited differently or better or learned how. And so information's out there, whether it's through us or just getting sales and marketing books and reading it and translating it back to softball. But but just take this part of your job seriously, because like it or not, um, you're accidentally found yourself into a sales career. It's not coaching. You're in sales. And so just, you know, embrace it and get good at it.
my husband told me that one time and I started to get mad at him and then I realized he's right. (laughs) (laughs) Once in a while, Joanna, the husbands are right. Once in a while. (laughs) Oh, it was too funny. Well, Dan, thank you so much. And again, for those of you who are listening, can't stress it enough. Go ahead and start reaching out and interacting with Dan on his website, social media, so many great things. And if recruiting is the lifeblood of your program, then you want to use all the resources that you can to be as good at it as possible. So just appreciate you taking the time to chat with us and being a part of the show today. I hope we get to do it again. Thanks for the opportunity, Joanna. College Recruiting Weekly is a production of Tudor Collegiate Strategies, copyright 2023 and 2024. To contact the host, email him at dan at dantutor.com. Also, remember to rate and review our podcast right now. Plus, tell your fellow coaches about the show. And stay tuned for the next amazing episode of the College Recruiting Weekly Podcast.